Father, we thank you. And God, we praise you. We praise the Father. We praise the Son. God, we love you. God, all the glory and honor to you. It's in your name. Amen. So we've been studying Matthew 24. And so we're going to the next verse today. Matthew 24, verse 15. So the reason for the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24 was the disciples wanted to know when all the destruction of the temple was going to take place. They wanted to know uh, when it would happen, how things would take place, what will the signs be, what's going to take place. Is this the end of the age? You may be having some of those same questions. Is this the end of time? Is this the end of the ages? You watch the news and you think, my, perhaps these things are un, you know, being, they're unfolding right before our very eyes today. And perhaps we need to get ready. Well, the truth of the matter is about getting ready, about preparing your heart, about being right with the Lord, about uh, settling matters. Uh, there's no question that people always need to be ready to meet the Lord. We always need to know for sure about our salvation. We always need to know and understand there is judgment to come. None of us have any guarantees. The Bible clearly says to us that that life for us is very fragile, that life for us is like a morning fog. It's like a vapor and uh, life is indeed short and need to make the most of time that we have. And we need to always be ready for the return of the Lord. Many people believe in the imminent return of the Lord. That just means that all things have been fulfilled and Jesus can come back at any time. Other people believe that Jesus is indeed returning, but there are some other things that need to be fulfilled. Uh, me personally, I don't quite get that. I don't quite get the imminent return of Christ. I don't quite get that many things are going to be fulfilled. I think that that information is very difficult to get. I think it's very difficult for us to be dogmatic about the return of Christ because uh, what we need to be dogmatic about is the return of Christ and all the other issues, all the other issues, man, there's lots of different opinions. There's a lot, lot of different takes, but that doesn't exempt us. And I don't think that should cause any of us because we believe we have a certain theology understood that we can we can wait, we can, we can be uh, 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 carefree about certain things and, and not be serious about our relationship with Christ or the need for others uh, to have a relationship with Christ. And so uh, the thing that we are to be dogmatic on is the return of Christ. Jesus Christ is returning. Now, it might be before a tribulation. It might be in the middle of a tribulation. It might be at the end of a tribulation. We may be in the tribulation now. We may be experiencing it now. There may be a literal seven year tribulation. There may be a, it may be a spiritual thing and it's a long set of time. There is going to be a thousand year reign of Christ. Many people believe that that reign of Christ is spiritual and not literal. And, and see, you have all these views. There's premillennial. There's historical premillennial. There's all millennial and there's post-millennial. And under each one of those different headings, there's lots of different canals that come off of those things, subpoints. And, and I've, I've been told that Jesus is going to return after the sixth trumpet, that Jesus returned, you know, after all the bowls have been emptied and Jesus is going to return when this and that and the other happens. 
There's one thing we know for sure. Jesus said, not even the son knows the hour. So the hour of the return of Christ is up to him. And so Jesus is, is not aware of the hour of his return. So people say, well, how in the world can that be if Jesus is God? Does that make us uneasy about the Trinity? And so there's lots of things out there. That's really what I'm trying to get across to you today. There's lots of things out there. And I think what's best for us is to settle on, to embrace, and to trust in what we know for sure. And to hold on to what we know for sure so that we can serve God. We can be prepared in our heart and mind now and, and we can be ready. Okay. And so the guys want to know how the end will come, when the end will come, what it's going to be like. And so Jesus gave them some things to look to. Okay. He gave them to look for lots of deception. There's going to be lots of problems with preachers. There's going to be difficulty with preachers. There's going to be lots of sleep at night theologies that are going to come, that are going to rise up. A sleep at night theology is this. I want to sleep tonight, and so I'm going to have a theology so I can sleep tonight. Right? And so even though the Bible says this, I'm going to explain this part of the Bible away, or like Thomas Jefferson did, I'm going to tear that page out of the Bible so I'm not responsible for that part of the Bible. I love it when people talk about how wonderful Thomas Jefferson was. He tore pages out of the Bible so that he could uh, uh, live and sleep at night. And, and many people do the same thing. They may not literally tear pages out of the Bible, but if they read something that they just don't want to accept or they don't want to believe in or they don't want to take as truth or it causes them not to be able to sleep at night, then, you know, they just walk away. And, and, and so we can sleep at night. People are going to come up with all kinds of myths, all kinds of positions about the scripture and about theology. I mean, if you want to sleep at night, there are some things in the scripture that you've got to avoid sometimes. And so there's going to be lots of problems with preachers. There's going to be lots of deception. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. We've got that going on now. Uh, there's going to be all kinds of problems with the world. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be famines. There's going to be pestilences. Don't be surprised when all these things happen. They're the beginning of birth pains, he says. There are going to be times of tribulation. Christians are going to be hated. They're going to be put to death. They're going to be arrested. There's going to be uh, an increase of that. Now, there's an increase of that today. Uh, if you'll just go online and look at the, uh, uh, the Fox uh, uh, website of martyrs or look at the open door ministry that keeps up with such things. There's lots of persecution going on in the world today. Now, from our perspective, we don't see that. And so from our perspective, we look at Matthew 24 and we go, well, that's that's yet to happen. We're not being persecuted like that yet. I mean, we're not being killed on the streets yet. We're not being bombed yet. There's been a few occurrences, but you can't really say that the American believer is really under the gun with persecution. That's our perspective. If we lived in Sri Lanka, different perspective, right? If we lived in Miramar or Burma, different perspective. If we live in China today, completely different perspective on Matthew 24. Matter of fact, we stand up and say the words of Jesus are being fulfilled this very moment. 
because that would be our perspective. And so there's going to be betrayal. The, uh, the church is going to crumble. There's going to be betrayal. People are going to abandon the church. There's going to be lots of empty buildings. And, and that is going on. They say in the state of Texas that the next several years, there's going to be 1,000, 1,500 empty buildings all across the state where there used to be live, vibrant congregations. It's not going to be there. You go to Europe and what do you do? You tour the churches. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. They're empty. They're empty by most part. And it's a sad thing. And if they are having services, there's only a few people that attend church. Did you know that in, in England today, of those that say they believe in God or God is important to them, and they would say that they are a practicing believer, only 1% of them attend church on a Sunday. Isn't that amazing? That, that's scary when you think about that. And if you think about the history of England, man, England was a major player in the spread of the gospel. England, I mean, they had some powerful, powerful ministries that sprang from England in the 1700s and the 1800s and all that took place. And it's a very sad commentary. And so from that perspective, when you look at the walking away, you go, oh, yeah. Now here in America, as I said before, you know, it's dropped down another 25 percent in, in, in the last 20 years of people who say they're a practicing believer. And that means God's important to them. And they attend church once a month, according to Barner Research. That number has dropped down 25 percent. And so we see some of that taking place today. Lots of false prophets, lots of lawlessness. As we said, that, uh, that, that sin is just going to be out of control. It's going to be rampant. There's going to be increase of lawlessness. There's going to be things happening in the streets that, that this thought is going to happen. And you're going to have this thought. That didn't happen 25 years ago. People didn't do that out in the open 25 years ago. There wasn't this, this lack of shame that we now see. People are just doing whatever they want to do, and, and, and they're, they're rationalizing, explaining it to be true, right? And so that's taking place. And, and so are we in the end times? Well, from a perspective, it's hard for us. We've got to look at the worldview from that perspective, and you look at these things, and, 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 and I believe, for me personally, um, you see that uh, the gospel is going out like never before. You see fewer doing more, more through less people. That's definitely going on. Uh, you definitely see that the love of many is growing cold today. It's going on now. I, I, I stopped short of saying it's the intensity and the multiplication that Jesus talked about here. Not quite sure about that. You know, but there are signs of that. So indeed, it may be so. It's a matter of perspective of where you're from. But definitely, definitely need to be paying attention to it. Definitely need to be ready. Definitely need to respect the fulfillment of God's word and, and, and to be right with him. But this verse 15 might be a game changer for that. Because I think that the evidence of the prophecy that we see here in verse 15 is a little more concrete. And it may not see so, uh, seem that way from the first reading, but let's give it a shot. So when you see the abomination of desolation, <laughs> not words I use typically, you know, abomination. 
of desolation. When you see the abomination of desolation, when you see that, you need to know that time is near. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Okay. So, this abomination of desolation thing. We need to understand what that is. Because Jesus said, you will see the abomination of desolation. And so, there's coming a day, or there has been a day, depending on perspective. There's coming a day that the abomination of desolation will be clearly seen. All right? So we've got to understand what the abomination of desolation is. Abomination means idolatry. Desolation means ruin or empty. All right? So there's something that's going to happen where idolatry is going to ruin the practice, the worship. It's going to be a horrible thing that's going to take place. And the prophet Daniel spoke about it. All right. He says here, Jesus says, pay attention to what the prophet Daniel said, because the abomination of desolation is going to stand in the holy place. Let the reader understand. So, to know when Jesus returns, to have an idea, to, to, to batter down the hatches and get ready, we have got to have an understanding of what Daniel had to say about the abomination of desolation. When will the abominator of desolation stand in the holy place? So we turn to Daniel. Let's look over there in Daniel. Okay, and I believe we're going to start in uh, chapter 9. Look in verse 30. Look at there in verse uh, 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the world to restore and build Jerusalem, the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty weeks it shall be built again, and squares and moat but in a troubled time. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there will be war. Desolations are increased. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out of the desolator. Okay? So there's going to be one that's going to come that's going to make a peace treaty and it's going to be held, and it's going to be spectacular, and then it will be removed. It will be removed. Look in Daniel 11, verse 31. 
Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay, now turn to Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up. There shall be 1290 days. Now, the days refer to a seven-year time of tribulation. That's typically a normal view of that. Uh, it could mean something different. It could mean a period of time. But I think it probably makes sense to look at that as a seven-year time of tribulation. But more than the days... More than a time, more than a mathematical equation trying to figure out when the rapture is or if there's a rapture, when that takes place, when the coming of the Lord comes. You got something else here that is clear from any perspective. And that which is clear is this. There's going to come, there's going to come on the nation of Israel, on Jerusalem, as Daniel says, Jesus said, understand Daniel, look to Daniel, pay attention to what Daniel has to say. And, and what you see is there's going to be an action that's going to take place and the sacrificing and the burnt offerings that happen in Jewish worship is going to be ceased. Okay, so that's what we're going to look for. We're going to look for a time where the holy place is closed, where the uh, temple is no longer active. All right, let's take a look at that. So there's been two temples. Today, there's no temple. Hmm. If you were alive in, say, you know, 100 B.C. in Jerusalem, and someone would say to you or ask you the question, what does the abomination of desolation mean to you? What is your perspective of that? Very good chance this is going to be the perspective. It's when that no good idolater, Antiochus Epiphanes, in 170, shut down the Maccabean revolt here in Jerusalem in Israel and killed hundreds and thousands of our people and took over the temple. And because he was such a narcissist, he was so ego, uh, he was such an egomaniac that he loved the nickname Antiochus Epiphanes, God manifest itself. And he paraded himself around. And I heard stories about him and he'd march around. He'd strut around. You know how those Greeks are. They think they're smarter than everybody else. And he walked in here with his army and, and he, killed pigs and he poured pig blood in 170 BC on our altar in our temple. And not only did he do that, but then he made the priest eat the pig's meat. That's, that's my perspective of it. Has there been an abomination of desolation happen in Jerusalem? If you're alive in 100 BC, you say, Daniel's words are absolutely true. It's already happened. 
the worship ceased. The truth of the matter is, even before that happened, the, the worship and the, and the sacrificing, the burnt offerings, they were really struggling with that. They were having a real spiritual dry time when that took place. But nonetheless, they poured pig's blood on the altar. Now, what is the, you know, you say, what animal is the most unclean for the Jewish person? A hog, pork. You're not going to eat pork. You're not going to have. And to take that pig's blood and pour it in your most holy place, the place where your sins are forgiven, the place where you sacrifice your burnt offerings and get right with God, the day of atonement. That's that's what happened right there. So if you were alive in 100 B.C. in Jerusalem, you say the abomination desolation happened through Antiochus Epiphanes. Now. If you heard the words of Daniel and you heard the words of Jesus and you are alive in 100 A.D., 100 years after Christ is born. All right. Someone walks up. He says, tell me, I heard Jesus talked about this abomination, desolation thing. What do you think that is? Perspective. Well, I thought it was I thought it was the Greek defilement of our temple and altar. But man, when Titus brought the Romans in in 70 A.D., they destroyed our temple. I mean, it was horrible. People ran for the hills. People ran for the mountains. They left town. There, there was such pain. And, and if you were pregnant during that day, it was horrible. I mean, if you had little kids and you're running, it was terrible. And they hunted us down and they tortured us and they killed us. And the crazy thing is, there was idolatry on our temple. Not only did they destroy our Holy of Holies and tear it down, but those Roman soldiers had on their shields the, the, the symbol of an eagle and a lightning bolt. And the, and the eagle symbolized Rome, and the lightning bolt symbolized Zeus. And you know what that, that no good Titus did? He had erected in the very place where our temple stood, he had a, a statue of Zeus placed there. So they would worship Zeus. So, you know, I used to think it was that Greek thing. But now, from my perspective and what has happened to our temple, man, it's this, it's this Roman thing, this abomination of desolation. He, he was an idolater. Antiochus was an idolater, but this Titus cat with his Roman power, there was nothing like them, idolater. And he ruined the worship. He ruined the temple. He destroyed our way of life. So that would be the perspective. Now, if you are alive and say, you know, uh, 1900 in Jerusalem, and you asked them, you said, what do you think about this abomination desolation thing? From that perspective of 1900, you might look back and say, you know, I know a lot of our people believe it was the Greeks. But a lot of our people believe it was the Romans because they destroyed our temple. But, you know, every single day I drive by or ride my donkey by or in 1900, I look over at the Temple Mount where our history was was. Uh, uh, structured and what is important to us, our pride and, and who we are as a Jewish people. But today I look over there and there's that Dome of the Rock, which is, which is, is been built 
to honor Muhammad and that Al-As Mosque is up there. And I'm here to tell you, it breaks my heart that we can't go on the Temple Mount and we can't do our burnt offerings and we can't worship. It breaks my heart that we don't have priests going to the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement for us. It just, it just breaks my spirit. I just don't know. We, that, I'm not quite sure they would say that that's not the abomination desolation because it's present. You can see it. Jesus said you could see it. And it took away the ability to worship. And we would say with the Muslim situation on the Temple Mount today, not only did it take away it, that, that Muslim presence keeps away the ability of the Jewish people to build a third temple and to worship there. And so it is an amazing thing that we have got an Old Testament prophecy that some 600 years before the birth of Christ, we've got Jesus drawing attention to that prophecy of Daniel. And here we have in Jesus' day, and in Jesus' day, if you are one of his disciples, and he told you there's coming a day that you won't be able to worship God through our temple, which was extremely important to them, you would say, you're, you're out of your gourd. There's no way. Look how magnificent that building is. It's, it's fortified. It's a fortress. There's a wall around it. There is no way whatsoever that we're ever, ever going to lose the ability to worship the way we worship in the holy place in Jerusalem. And for all these years, they haven't been able to do it. And so the words of Daniel have come true. The words of Jesus have come through. So what do we look for? We look for that fulfillment in that we see that they can no longer worship God. Now, if you need some evidence, if you need some proof I, that, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Lord, that his words come true and you can count on him, you can trust in him, you can come to him, you can get to know the Father through him, that he is the, he's the embodiment of Almighty God. What you want to know about God the Father is seen through the Son because the Jews can't worship in their holy place. The words of Jesus are true. He spoke about Daniel. The words of Daniel are true. There's going to be an abomination of desolation and there's not going to be any worship in the holy place. That's unbelievable. From our perspective, looking back, it's, it's, it, we, it's more difficult to see how unbelievable that is. Because we, we only see a picture of a model and see it on, you know, in, in images and pictures and drawings. But unbelievable, unbelievable that they can't worship God like their scripture says to, like their practice and their history and their heritage says to, to go to the Holy of Holies. Now, interesting possibilities here as well. I've given you three possible things that you could point to that this is the abomination of desolation. Pointing to the, they're not going to have a place where they're able to worship. You, you also got to pay attention to the fact that what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is answering the question of what it will be like. 
before the return of Christ happens for the end of the age. And so Jesus' response in Matthew 24 is looking forward, is looking into the future. Now, that says to us some crazy things. It says to us the possibility that Daniel was looking forward, Jesus is looking forward, or it says to us that Daniel's prophecy and, and Jesus' prophecy looked forward for a little bit, but also was looking forward a lot. And so that there are multiple fulfillments of prophecy, dual fulfillments of prophecy, which may be the case. But in this passage of Scripture here, I think that we have got to be open to the future aspect of Jesus' words. When you see the abomination of desolation by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. And so we've got to look into the future. And the place that uh, we see in Scripture that we look to is the coming of the Antichrist, the beast, the first beast. And so look in Revelation chapter 13, and, and let's see what we need to keep our eyes open for with the coming of the fulfillment of the abomination desolation, which has been fulfilled with Antiochus Epiphanes, perhaps, that has been fulfilled with Titus and the Romans, that has perhaps been fulfilled, but in my mind would be a lesser fulfillment or maybe not quite as sure. You can't hang your hat on that as much with the Muslim presence on the Temple Mount. Revelation chapter 13. Now the woman is Israel in chapter 12. The dragon is Satan. The woman is perhaps the church, the fulfillment of Israel, perhaps. But here in chapter 13, we've got the rising out of the sea of the first beast. You've got the first beast and the second beast. The first beast is the Antichrist. The second beast is his prophet. It's a religious man that is going to come along the way to the Antichrist, which is, is the guru of all gurus. Most likely he's going to be of European descent. He is going to be smooth. People say, is Donald Trump the Antichrist? No, he's not smooth enough to be the Antichrist. <laughs> what about these peace treaties he's making with Israel? Just business deals. They don't really mean much. It's good now. We say, well, maybe Israel can have peace for a while. But when it comes time for the big war to happen, that peace deal is going to mean absolutely nothing. It's just not going to mean anything. But it's, it's kind of cool for then we get together and say, let's try to live with each other for a while and let's see what happens down the road with that. But verse one, and I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and his mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. So the Antichrist is going to really rise to the scene because the appearance is that he is killed and he comes back to life. Heard that somewhere before. But it's the appearance, perhaps. But his mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? 
and the world. It's going to be on CNN every day. Look how wonderful the beast is. Of course, he'll have a wonderful, beautiful name, Romeo or something. It's going to be, he's going to be so delightful, beautiful hair. He's going to look good on TV. He's got to look good on TV. He's going to wear Armani suits. Perhaps he's an Italian, right? He's going to have on those beautiful shoes and just beautiful teeth are going to be white. He's going to put hydrogen peroxide in his mouth every morning and rinse it out and spit it out. And he's just going to be a beautiful human. And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. Oh, but his tongue is going to be sharp and it's going to cut baloney thin. He is going to be, oh, the, his words, his ability to turn on people, his ability to cut deep is going to be there. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years. He's going to have peace. Remember, Daniel talked about that, the peace treaty. There's going to be the gift of peace. The Antichrist is going to come along and there is going to be a great time of peace, a, pe a time of peace like there's never been, people are going to say. There's never been quite like that. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blasphemies, his name and his dwelling. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. And so notice the wording here. It was allowed. The beast was allowed, given permission to make war on believers and conquer them. The believing nations and authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And so there's going to be worship of this guy. Finally, we found something we can worship. Finally, we found someone uh, that's, that's worthy of our worship. Isn't that interesting? The Antichrist is going to come along and, and people who have not believed in Christ are just going to fall head over heels in love with this guy. Finally, someone who can bring peace to the Middle East. Finally, someone that can speak to our economic div, uh, uh, difficulties in the world. Finally, someone that has the perspective that they can see all sides of an issue. And they walk into a room. And when he walks into the room, everyone can feel good about themselves. Oh, don't we want that so bad in this world today? What do you want from your leader? Do you want him to accomplish anything? No, nah, I just kind of want him to make me feel good. I want him to be pleasant on TV. I want him to say nice, kind words. We, that longing is in our world, right? Man, how people just, they, they love their Canadian prime minister because he's a pretty guy. He looks good. He says the right things at the right time. They love the French guy. You know, he's suave, you know? He looks good. You know, he looks like the part. Well, that Antichrist is going to be like that. And in verse 9 says, If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword must he be slain. So if Jesus is saying, look forward, if Daniel is saying, looking forward, look to this abomination of desolation, we're going to look forward. You go to the revelation to look forward. And what do you see here? The idolater will be the Antichrist. 
The main idolater will be the Antichrist. His prophet, his preacher that's going to come along, that's going to point to the Antichrist and say, worship him. He's the one. He's got all the answers. Let's abandon this archaic Bible and this archaic set of beliefs that we have. And let's get something new that we can embrace and we can feel good about. And so for three and a half years, man, he's going to be raking it in. He's going to be walking tall, walking on water, you know, uh, metaphorically for all the people. They never had anybody quite like him. And then he's going to turn on them. And we will see Jesus talking about that in Matthew 24. The world has never experienced such pain like he is going to deliver on people. Now, what do we do? Now, you understand John was being persecuted. John, the one that sees the revelation and writes it down. That we have, he understands from his perspective, the end times is about taking care of the martyrs, taking care of the people who've been broken by the things of this world. And from his perspective, he looks at it and go, hope. We look at the end times, perhaps from perspective, let's get it all figured out. Let's do the math. Let's try to figure out those days. Let's try to figure out if it's the end time or not, if we need to really prepare or not. If not, I'm going to live like I want to for a while until I start seeing the signs that I need to prepare myself and get ready. And I'm going to kind of do what I want to do. That's from our perspective. From John's perspective, he is absolutely just, just moved in his spirit. And you remember, he's the one that saw the martyrs under the uh, under the the throne of God saying, when will you avenge our blood? And and, and and the promise just jumps from the book of Revelation said there will come a time. Not now. It's delayed for a time. But there's coming a time when the blood of the martyrs will be avenged. And so John identifies with that. John is part of that. And what does he say here at the end of verse 10? Here is a call for the endurance of. And faith of the saints. That's our answer. That's our response. The abomination of desolation. When you see that the Jewish people, God's chosen people, the people that brought to us Jesus, the people that have brought to us his word, the people that God chose, that created for himself to go and make the way for the word, the truth, the presence of Christ, when you see that because of idolatry, their place of worship is emptied, it is ruined, you need to be faithful, you need to persevere, and you need to be in the Lord completely. Now, we have that, that warning to heed now because God's people, the Jewish people, cannot go to their place of worship. The abomination desolation has emptied, has ruined that possibility. Possibilities. The Greeks, the Romans, the Muslims, or the Future coming of the Antichrist. What do we do as God's people? The word says, this is a call to endurance and faith. Let us be faithful. 
Let us fight with faith to the end. Let us not quit. Let us not abandon our truth. Let us just stay focused on what God wants for us. Let us not give in. Not give in to the world, to temptation, to the flesh, to Satan's antics and as he attacks us. Let us rise up and be faithful, faithful, faithful people to the very end. May God's will be done in us. Lord, lead us and guide us. May we be faithful to what you want. In Jesus' name, amen.